Psalms 89 says this, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth, verbally, through our lips, we will make known your faithfulness, Almighty, to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. And I love this part of this verse. Listen closely, believers. Your faithfulness shall establish is established in the very heavens. You know, this week, we've had some amazing breakthroughs in prayer. I'm talking, man, we were praying for specifics. And we were calling out to God, and we were waiting faithfully. And He has come through in so many areas. And we just give Him thanks for that. We give him glory. We give him honor. We give him praise. We give him, we just praise him for everything. God answers prayer. We all hear that. You hear that, and it, it becomes like wallpaper in church. It becomes wallpaper in our homes. We see it on TV. God answers prayer. God answers prayer. But really, God answers prayer. Amen? Amen. Hey, if you're praying and you're waiting on the Lord, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Continue to pray. Continue to seek the Lord. Continue to call on Him and remind Him of His faithfulness because God is faithful and He answers prayer. And some of you guys, He's answered prayer. Some of you guys are, are in the queue and He's going to answer the prayer. And some of us, we just got to remind the Lord of His faithfulness throughout all generations. But God answers prayer in response to his people praying. Amen? Well, this morning we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians, so turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and uh, we're looking at an amazing subject. We're continuing to look at uh, prophecy and tongues, and uh, many of you in your Bibles in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is titled, Instructions for Church. Instructions for Church. And you know, we need instructions. God has given us a blueprint for success. He's given us a blueprint to minister to people, to reach out to people. So let's follow it. How, is, that, is that rocket science? It's pretty simple, pretty amazing. So uh, if, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let's, let's look at the uh, first four verses that we'll be looking at in the passage this morning. And we'll actually this morning we'll be starting in verse 20. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. says this, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by the men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles Together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word, Lord, as we dig into it now. God, uh, your word is living and active. Hebrews 4.12 is sharper than a two-edged sword. It penetrates our hearts. It gives us instructions. It guides us. It directs us. So, Lord, I pray that your word this morning becomes rhema 
it jumps off the pages of the book and into our heart. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. This morning we're coming, we're approaching the end of 1 Corinthians. We're bringing 1 Corinthians to a close over the next uh, three or four weeks. And uh, three sections left. What we're looking at this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, on church life, instructions for church. Next week, and we'll probably spend two to three weeks next week on 1 Corinthians chapter 15 on the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. It's going to be an amazing study. If you want to dig deep and you want to understand Jesus' resurrection from the dead, then join us in the next three weeks as we dive into the subject of his resurrection, that event that took place early on that Sunday morning. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we'll close it up with the Apostle Paul taking up a collection from the churches to, 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 uh, to deliver to the poor people in Jerusalem. So it's going to be an amazing study. The theme of what we're looking at this morning to kind of give you an outline is found in verse 26 and verse 40. In verse 26, he says, let all things be done for edification. Everything that's done in church is meant to build people. That's important. We don't come to church to tear people down. We come to edify people. We come to build people, to build people in their relationship with Jesus Christ, to build people in their family life. We, we're here to build the kingdom, and we're here to, to build solid believers. And then the, the Second half of the theme as we go through this portion of Scripture, I think it's found in verse 40 where he says, all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. So that brings me to my question this morning. What makes a church strong? What is the backbone of the church? Is it the pastor? I'd say no. Is it the, is it the programs? Is it the worship style? What is it that makes a church? What forms the DNA of a church? Let me tell you what forms the DNA of a church. You're looking at it in this room. The people. The people form the DNA of the body. So as we go through this passage this morning, we're going to be asking the question, what makes a church strong? What builds, what builds us up? And I'm going to go through this. I'm going to weave through these verses, and I'm going to teach you what he's talking about when he talks about speaking in tongues and strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. But out of this passage, I want to pull out five principles for a strong church as we go through it. Amen? So let's dive into it. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20. We're going to spend a little bit of time on this first one. First Corinthians 14, 20 says, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. Now, the first thing here is the Apostle Paul addresses them as children. What's he saying there? What the Apostle Paul is saying there to these people, when he calls them children, is symbolizing their immaturity. Their immaturity. They were selfish. They were, people that are immature are selfish. They're consumed by new and exciting things. And they focus on what's beneficial for themselves. But what they need to be focused on is what is beneficial for the body. For the body. But he causes them children. He's telling them to grow up. And he says there in, in verse 20, he says, Yet in evil be infants. If you know anything about the book of 1 Corinthians, they, they were jacked up. 
they were jacked up. Like many of us are today, you know, we find these similar things that's going on in the body, in the church that has to be addressed and has to be dealt with. Uh, lawsuits in the church, sexual immorality in the church, cliques in the church, as we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, abuse of the gifts. They were living carnal. They were living carnal. And let me say this about that. Carnality, living the carnal Christian life, will stunt your growth as a Christian. It will make life as a Christian very, very difficult. It, it will make life very difficult. And that's what the Corinthian church, that was their issue. This whole letter is, is Paul correcting um, where they're missing the mark. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says this, and speaking to their carnality, he, he, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. So they were new Christians, they were struggling in the flesh, they weren't mature, and he calls them, he calls them infants. Telling them they need to mature, they need to grow up. And we as believers need to grow. That's a word for some of you this morning. You're struggling in some areas of your life, whether it's family, marriage, or work, or you're facing difficulties, and what you need more than anything is you, need to grow, you, need, you just need to grow. We, we all find ourselves in places like that where you just need to grow. You need to grow in your study of God's Word. You need to grow in fellowship. And that will benefit you greatly and help you move forward and get out of the rut that you're in. It's just grow in maturity, grow in the word. Uh, and he says here, the, first, the last five words of verse 20, he says, but in your thinking, be mature. That's what I'm saying. We've got to grow in maturity. How do we grow in maturity? One, get into the word. Let the word of God Get into your heart. This word is for you today. Chuck Smith wrote a study Bible back in the 80s. Do you, any of y'all remember what the title of it was? There you go. I didn't ask. I didn't, tell him, I didn't tell him that before service either. He had a study Bible. It was called The Word for Today. The Word for Today. The Word is for today for you to grow and to be mature. So be in the Word. Follow Christ with all your heart. Follow Him with all your heart. Give it all to Him. Utter surrender. Complete abandonment for Jesus. And then finally, the Word of God, our relationship with Christ, and then out of that, focus on other people. That's the Christian life. That's how you grow in maturity. When you, when you put your focus on other people and what they're going through, it helps you take the focus off yourself, and you forget about your problems, and you focus on them, and you find joy. You find joy in the Christian life. So, my first principle, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, for a strong church, the believers have to mature. Believers have to mature. And that's what we're going to help you do here at Calvary Chapel. We're going to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. He says in that verse, yet in evil be infants, we're going to help you understand and grow and separate yourself from sin and evil by teaching on what the Word says about it so we can grow and we're not stunted and we're not... This, uh, taken off the tracks um, by sin and temptation 
and, and evil. And then we're going to help you discover your gift. We're going to help you discover your gift. Calvary Chapel Irmo is not a church where oh, just these select five people get to operate in their gifts. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we're an organic body. We're an organic body. And every single believer plays a part and has a gift. And all that, on that verse, falls under maturity, growing up. That's how you can benefit the body of Christ, and that's what we're going to help you do. Amen? Verse 21, it says, In the law it is written, By the men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Okay, the Apostle Paul is referring to Isaiah chapter 28 here. In Isaiah chapter 28, Isaiah is pronouncing judgment on Ephraim. Their leaders, if you go back and study Isaiah chapter 28, the leaders are getting drunk. They're getting intoxicated. They're tolerating evil. They're tolerating sin. And Isaiah is calling them out. And if you go back and you study Isaiah chapter 28, verses 10 and 13, he speaks to them in childlike language because they're acting immature. And it offends them. It, it, it offends the leaders of Ephraim, uh, of, of the Israelites, because he's talking to them like a child because they won't grow up. And finally, he says, listen, if you're not going to grow up, if you're not going to be the leaders that I've called you to be over Israel, he says in here, and this is what Paul is quoting from, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. He's going to put Israel, he's going to use the Assyrians to take Israel into captivity. So actually, if you go back and study it, there's two strange tongues taking place. There's Isaiah speaking to them like a child in this babbling language. You can study it in Isaiah chapter 28, verses 10 and 13. But then also, they don't want to listen. Fine, you'll go into Assyrian captivity. It's important that we, that we grow, especially when it comes to leadership. It's important that we grow and that we're held accountable for our actions. And we lead people by example. So, so important. It's so, so important that we grow. They're, they're, the Israelite disobedience brought captivity. It brought captivity. And it can do the same today in the church. When, especially in the area of leadership, when people don't live holy, dedicated lives, the, the sin that they um, permit in their life and they openly welcome, it will take them into captivity. It will take them into captivity. Now, he's going to continue with verse 22. Actually, verse 21 and 22 are connected. I wanted to bring that out in verse 21, talking about what caused the Israelites to go into captivity, and he's speaking to them in strange tongues. But actually, verse 21 is connected with verse 22. Let's continue reading. So then, uh, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all and he is called um, to account by all. Some people see a contradiction in this passage. It can be difficult to interpret. It can be difficult to interpret because it says in verse 22, it says, tongues are a sign for who? 
for unbelievers. But prophecy is a sign for who? For those who believe. But then when you get down to verse 23, it says, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and an ungifted man or unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are mad? What is the sign? What, what is the sign that's to the unbelievers? I believe, as I've seen and walked into a, a, a disorient, not a disorienting service, but a service where there's just out loud and lots of speaking in tongues, it can spook people. It can spook people and say, ooh, what's going on here? And we're going to see in this passage, he doesn't forbid not to speak in tongues. He's, he's, matter of fact, he's going to recommend it. But, but what is the sign? And the sign, according to verse 23, is, will they not say that you are mad? So, here we have the context is, the wor- is a worship service. The context here in verses 22 through 24 is a worship service. So put this in your mind. Maybe this will help you understand. We have two churches, two settings, two different outcomes. Okay? Church A, over here. You enter the service. Everybody's speaking in tongues out loud. Very charismatic service. And an unbeliever comes in. And what does the text say? What What will the unbeliever say? He'll say, man, these people are crazy. These people are mad. Now, I, I've been in some of those services before, Pentecostal services, and I've seen some beautiful Pentecostal services, some wonderful charismatic services. But I remember one time I had just gotten saved, and I brought my mom and dad to church. And, and, and my dad was, was raised and grew up in the Methodist church, and there was nothing Pentecostal about the Methodist church. And as soon as that worship service started, he literally got up and bolted for the door. He said, I'm not having no part of this. And um, he thought we were crazy. And that's what it says here. But, so that's church A. That's church A. Let's look over here at church B. Church B is gathered, and there's prophecy taking place. There's, there's prophecy taking place. And the unbeliever comes in. What does the text say? Look at verse 24. The church is taking place. There's prophecy taking place in the church. Look at verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all, and he's called into account by all. Look at verse 25. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you question for you this morning as we look at the word of God what is beneficial in a church service prophecy prophecy you know and I and, and the prophetic word that the Holy Spirit uses many times it will come through the preaching where something I touch on something I address something I talk about addresses a specific situation that you're going through and you're like oh wow that was great but it also takes place before and after service. You know, it also takes place before and after service through believers as we're having fellowship and we're having conversation and someone speaks to another believer. That's why that is so, so important before and after service. 
so the Lord can speak through one person to another through the gift of prophecy. Now, the question has to be asked, if you weren't with us last week, what does prophecy look like? What is a biblical definition of prophecy? Look at verse 3. Chapter 14, same chapter we're in. Look up at verse 3. So we understand what prophecy is. The Apostle Paul, he, he defines it in verse 3. He says, But one who prophesies speaks to men, here it is, for edification and exhortation and consolation. In the gift of prophecy, there is a future dynamic in the gift of prophecy where you're pointing people ahead. You're pointing people to the future by nature of the definition of the word prophecy. But according to verse 3, it says, for edification. What does that word edification mean? It means building up. It's like building a building and putting all the places and putting all the pieces in place. But that's what prophecy does. That's a part of prophecy, edification, is building people up. And then it says, for exhortation. Exhortation. That means that there's going to be challenges. There's going to be challenges when it comes to prophecy. There's going to be times where you come to church and you're going to be like, Oh, man, Pastor David, that was an awesome sermon. You just lifted my spirits, and I am so thankful for the encouragement you gave me. And you're going to love it. And you're going to walk out of church with a little hop, skip, and a jump, jumping for joy. But then there's going to be some Sundays where you leave church, and you're going to be like, I'm not happy with you because you stepped on my toes, and you addressed an area of my life that, the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction. So that, look it up for yourself, the word exhortation. There, there, it's, 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 it's challenging. It's challenging. And I, I, I know for many years, my philosophy of ministry and teaching stems from the time before I was a preacher, before I was a pastor. And my, and my philosophy, man, pastor, I'm coming to church Teach me what's in that book. Teach me what's in that book and challenge me. You know, I didn't get Emily and Daniel all dressed, breakfast stuffed down their throats, getting up early on a Sunday morning to go through all that just to hear some uh, seeker-sensitive, um, gubbly-garp sermon. I want, something, I want something strong. I want you to challenge me. I want you... It says in verse 3, I want you to exhort me. And then finally, prophecy, according to verse 3, look at it, is for consolation. Prophecy is for comfort. We go through difficult times in life. We go through challenging times in life. And through the gift of prophecy, we can be comforted. You know, life those Christians occur ball too. We go through difficult, and we go through trying times. And through this Gift of prophecy. As I said, prophecy is an element of futuristic, looking forward, pushing people towards ministry, towards future events, things that are going to happen. But there's a dynamic within the believer's life where they can be prophetically spoken to by the Holy Spirit. So that brings me to my second principle for a strong church. You need to remember this. Church is for building people. Church is for building people. It's not for tearing people down. It's not for tearing people down. No matter what's going on in their life, no matter how jacked up it is, we lovingly, kindly come alongside people and say, brother, 
sister, let me help you. That's our philosophy of ministry from the top to the bottom. Is we don't come in and bang you over the head with a Bible and take out the two by four and take you behind the shed, give you a butt whooping. It's to come inside you and encourage you in your growth and, and to do it in a kind way. Church is for building people. When unbelievers see this, they're like, wow! This is th- that really, they really care. This is how it works. And it changes their heart. It changes the unbeliever's heart. Look at verse 25. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. Is that not what we want in church? A genuine outpouring of the Holy Spirit where he speaks through this person into this person's life. And they're encouraged and they're edified and their heart is opened up to a whole new realm of like, wow, these people really care and God really cares. Amen? All right, let's move to the next verse. Verse 26. This is the verse I was talking about before we uh, we were having fellowship time. Verse 26. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. The... um. First thing I want you to see in verse 26 is the umbrella. The umbrella is the very last phrase. It says, let all things be done for edification. So whether it's a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, it needs to be done for edification. What was our definition of edification? Building up people. That's our goal, is to build believers for the kingdom. So this brings me to my third principle for a strong church. We need to use our gifts. We need to use our gifts and our callings to edify the body. And everybody has a gift. Everybody has a gift. We need to learn it, and we need to build the kingdom. And this is why, this is why I believe church, both before church and after church service, is so important. When we get into our new building, if you haven't been there, we have a sanctuary and, I don't know, it's probably um, three or 4,000 square foot sanctuary. And then we have a fellowship area the same size as the sanctuary. And in that fellowship area is where people can gather before or after service to have coffee, to have fellowship, to spend time with one another, to speak into people's lives. So me and Brandon can start chit-chatting and, and talking about sports and talk about spiritual things and encourage one another. But that's so important, that time before and after church service. Amen? Amen. Um, Verse 27. Verse 27 says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, now now he's going to get into speaking in tongues and talking about things being done orderly for for a service where there's people speaking in tongues. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three and each in turn. And one must interpret but if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. Now let me just say this. I have been in some wonderful Pentecostal services. I have been in some services uh, where people are exercising the gifts and it has been beautiful 
It has been awesome. It's been an amazing time of prayer and worship and fellowship and edification. And, and they, can, they can be done decently in order. But on the flip side of that, I've been in some services where it has been a charismatic chaos. And it seemed disorderly. And it was kind of like leaving there thinking, man, I ain't going back there again. But notice what I like about this passage here is, is he gives us instructions he gives them instructions and he gives them steps. And if, if, if a body of believers are gathering to exercise gift, they would do well to follow these instructions, to make sure it's done decently in order, so that when somebody comes in, they're not, you people are crazy. You people are mad. Let's look at them. Verse 27, he says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, first rule says, is two or at the most three. In other words, it doesn't continue. It doesn't go on and on and on. He says, let, the, let two or three people speak. And then notice they don't do it all together at the same time. In verse 27, it says, and each in turn. But then he says, one must interpret. There must be an interpreter. There must be someone who interprets this prayer language for the service. Why? 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 So the rest of the believers can be edified. You know, if we all come together and Robert's over here speaking in tongues and there's no interpretation, he's only benefiting himself. It says, it says there, if, if there's a gathering, if there's a Pentecostal or charismatic gathering, that there, there needs to be an interpretation so that the rest of the body can be, um, can be edified. But verse, see verse 28, but if there's no interpreter... He must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. The thing I want to point out to you in this passage, the principle for a strong church, I believe for all churches, for our church, look at verse 29. In uh, verse 29, I'm going to give you the principle up front. Uh, the, the fourth principle, number four, if you're taking notes for a strong church, according to verse 29, is this. We need to be Bereans. What did the Berean church do when Paul went and preached there? It says they diligently studied the scripture to make sure to see what he was saying was correct. Look at verse 29. It says, let two or three prophets speak and let others pass judgment. Here we go, guys. Listen to this carefully. Just because somebody tells you something, just because somebody comes and tells you something, it doesn't mean you accept it. It doesn't mean you accept it. It says we are to pass judgment, verse 29. That word pass judgment, it means to examine, to, to scrutinize, to separate thoroughly, to weigh it out, to look at it, to seek godly counsel. This person is this pastor or this Christian friend has come to me and says, man, God has really placed this on my heart to share this with you, and I want to share it with you. We need to weigh it and, and listen to it and maybe write it down. And we need to, most importantly, go to the Word of God and discern what was spoken to us by Scripture. You know, somebody comes to me and says, I really feel like the Lord is telling me to, to share this with you, and, and, they, sh and, they, sh and they share what they feel the Lord is telling them to share with me, I am very slow to accept. I'm very slow to accept. It could take days. It could take weeks. 
as, as they speak, as they, as they tell me what they feel like the Lord is saying to them, I, I will take it and I will process it for weeks. And I will pray about it. And I will search the word of God and I will seek the Lord. And I'll be like, okay, God, is this where you're leading me? Is this where you're directing me? So it's very important that we just don't go around being prophecy chasers. Like the hurricane chasers or the tornado chasers. Going and finding one and hunting it down. But no, but when the word, but when God does speak to someone's heart to share it with someone else, we need to carefully examine it. So, so important. Examine it above the word of God. Paul was not above the word, and neither, or the, uh, Paul was not above the authority of Scripture, and neither are you and I, nor anybody who exercises any gift. It has to be examined closely um, by Scripture. Verse 31. So the fourth principle is we need to be Bereans. We need to be Bereans. The uh, sola scriptura, the word of God is final. Everything is judged and evaluated by Scripture. Amen? Amen. Verse, uh, where are we at? Verse 31. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. A person who exercises this gift of exhortation, consolation, through this gift of prophecy, they don't lose control. They don't lose control. People can't say, people can't come up to us and say, the Holy Spirit just took control of my body and forced me to say this, and I had no control. And no, nobody loses control even when the Holy Spirit is, is, is using them for a gift. We do not lose control of our faculties, of our hearing, of our speech, of things we say. We're still in control of our bodies. We're still in control of what we say. Uh, and we can't say the Holy Spirit forced us. We don't lose control. That's nonsense. We, we still have control of our faculties. But as the Holy Spirit speaks to our heart and gives us a revelation and gives us a word of prophecy, we're like, Okay, Lord, I'm going to do it. The Lord has given me words to speak to people before, and I've argued with him before. I've argued with him. God, I really don't want to share that with that person. And he'll just lay it on my heart again and again. You need to go, you need to go share. You need to go talk with that brother. You need to go share with them what's going on. And, and I'll argue with him, and finally I'll say, Uncle. <laughs> and I'll be obedient, and I'll, and I'll go share with that brother what I feel like the Lord has laid on my heart. Ultimately, I had to surrender and say, okay, Lord, I will do it. I will, I will just share with that person so that I can edify them, so that I can comfort them, so that I can build them up. That's how the, the gift of prophecy works. Okay, let's look at verse 33. Verse 33. Um, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Verse 34. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject to themselves, just as the law also says. For they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Moving on, verse 36. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, what's it saying here? When, okay, this scripture can be used and twisted to do things it's not meant to do. Okay? When you, it's called, we call it 
systematic theology. It's when you take everything the Bible says on a subject and you put it all together. Okay? You have to put everything the Bible says. Is he saying in here, women, stay silent. No talking. You're not permitted to speak. If you have a question, uh, so no talking. No, I, don't, I do not believe that's what he's saying here. There's two views. Uh, there's two interpretations of this verse, and I'm going to read them to you. The first view is that Paul is telling the church at Corinth to observe the customs of the time. To observe the, to, to observe the customs of the time. In the, Greek culture, in the Greek culture back then, women were not allowed to speak in public settings. And Paul is saying, hey, follow the culture at where you're at in this time. There was a, um, an ancient writer who lived from 60 to 120 A.D., right in this time period. His name was Plutarch. And he says this. This is a quote from an ancient Greek writer who had nothing to do with Christianity. It's written in antiquities. It says, A virtuous woman ought to be modest and guarded about saying anything in the presence of outsiders. So one view of this passage here is, is the Apostle Paul is instructing the church at Corinth to follow the customs of the day and not interrupt the customs of the day. The second view of, of, this, of this text here is he's talking about local etiquette. He's talking about local etiquette. The men and women, the early church, followed the path of the Jewish synagogue. And if you know anything about Jewish synagogue services, what do they do? They put the men on one side and the women on the other side. You know, husbands and wives, we like to talk. We like to talk all the time. So you got men on this side, women on this side, and you got Sally over here saying, Ed, what did he mean by that? Hollering across the aisle. And he's saying, no, don't do, don't, don't do that. No, no crosstalk. No crosstalk across the aisle is what he's saying. That's the second view. It's local etiquette. Some people say they were observing the customs of the times. But I can tell you this, and this is my position. This verse, this passage, has nothing to do, has nothing to do with praying prophesying, serving, and being a leader in the church. It has nothing to do with those. Give you some examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What does it say about women with their head covered? What does it say? They can pray and they can what? Prophesy. They can prophesy. What did the woman do in John chapter 4 when Jesus went to the, went to the woman well? What, was, what did she do afterwards? She became an evangelist. Jesus didn't stop her. No, but she went to her village and she evangelized the people there. So we see an evangelist. We see a, a woman being, uh, evangelizing. We see uh, women in prayer. We see women prophesying. How about Philip's four daughters? What does the book of Acts say they did? They prophesied. They prophesied. So God used women to prophesy. Who, who, who first announced the resurrection of Jesus? Yes, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene announced the women of Jesus. Still not convinced? Go to Acts chapter 18. Don't go there. You can study it on your own. But uh, Priscilla, who did she bring correction to? She, Priscilla and Aquila, husband and wife, but, inclu but including her, brought correction to Apollos, the, the professor Apollos, on doctrine and theology. She brought correction to him. Romans chapter 16, what is Phoebe called? In Romans chapter 16, Phoebe is the one that we believe that the Apostle Paul 
gave the book of Romans and said, here, take this to the church at Rome. What does the apostle Paul call Phoebe? He calls her a Dionychus, a deacon. He, he calls her a deacon. We see in the scriptures, we see in the word, with the exception of the role of a pastor, we see women serving the body. We see women serving in the body. So this brings me to my fifth and final principle this morning. Men, let me, let me ladies, give me one second. Men, we need you, okay? We need you to serve. But the principle of the passage here, and what I just read of all these examples is this. Ladies, we need you. We need you. We have women here at Calvary Chapel that serve in leadership roles that are so critical. Every, everything from Alex serving with students to Mary taking care of finances to Irene taking care of children's ministry, and we can't do it without them. Ladies, we need you. We need ladies serving. Men, we need you too. We need you too. Um, but we need everyone within the body operating and exercising their gift. Verse 36. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or was it from you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandments. I just want to repeat that verse one more time. Verse 37 says, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, do you consider yourself spiritual? Let him recognize this thing that I write to you are the Lord's commandments. If we consider ourselves spiritual people, we will follow God's commandments. We will follow his word with all our heart. If you consider yourself spiritual, many people will say, well, yeah, I'm spiritual. But the true test of spirituality is following Christ, following the Lord, and following his commandments. That's part of our spiritual growth. Amen? Let's close this up. Verse 38. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Therefore, my brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. And here it is. I mentioned this a while ago. Do not forbid to speak in tongues. Prophecy. Remember what we learned last week? As you, as you study the word and, and you understand what you believe about this, who does prophecy speak to? Who does tongues speak to? That's right. And then verse 40, I open my, my teaching with this. This is the, um, the overarching principle of church ministry in verse 40. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Father God, for um, spiritual gifts. Thank you for church life. Lord, help us look at our lives this morning and ask ourselves, where are we at in these areas of our life? Are we growing? Are we growing in maturity? Are, are, are we answering the call to be people who comfort, who exhort, 
and who take the time to lovingly care for and speak into other people's lives. God, do your work in our hearts. Do your work like only you can do in our hearts. Lord, transform us and make us more into your image. Let us be growing Christians, growing believers. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, just do your work in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for your word. Thank you for what we learned this morning. Help us not only be hearers, but help us to be doers. In Jesus' name, amen.